0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All righty. Um, we have been going through a series all summer. How many know we're not done with summer yet? Right? Uh, my daughter would point out summer doesn't officially end until sometime this coming week. Uh, it's not Labor Day It is the equinox. It's coming. And uh, our series on questions God asks, and it's been good for us, at least for me personally. I hope it's been good for you too. But discovering how God uses questions that probe our hearts to go deeper into relationship with us rather than just using them as rhetorical devices and to take time to soak in some of the kind of personal probing questions God asks. It's been healthy for our faith. If you haven't had a chance to catch or get all of the different questions in this series, it's been a wide-ranging set of kind of questions that God asks. If you were to step back and look at the different verses and topics and questions over the course of these last three months, you'd find that God touches on all these different areas of life. He's not just concerned with Sunday mornings. He's not just concerned with things that you and I might think of as spiritual. He reaches into every area of our life. And this morning... I'm going to look at a familiar episode uh, in the Bible. You, may, you probably have heard it, especially if you grew up in church, but even people who aren't church people have heard about that time that Peter went walking on water. Have you heard of people Peter walking on water? Well, it's this episode, an encounter where they're with Jesus, and Peter steps out by faith, and he starts to sink. And Jesus rescues him and asks him this question. He says, why did you doubt? And we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into doubt and faith together this morning. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you so much that we can come to you as we really are. Lord, you're not impressed by any show we put on because you know what's real all the way through. So, God, we're asking this morning, just as we sang during the songs, God, we say we do need you. Lord, we want to be able to just fall on you and rely on you to hold our weight. And because we know ultimately you are the one who's able, so God help us this morning. Speak to our hearts, shape us, transform us, God, that we'd be able to live as your people every day. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have your your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me into Matthew chapter fourteen. Uh, here, here's what it says, starting in verse twenty two and following. This is an episode that immediately follows a miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people that they were the kind of people they were willing to count at the time. And and then verse 22 starts, and it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, other side of a fairly large lake, uh, while he, Jesus, dismissed the crowd. Verse 23 continues, after Jesus had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat that had all the disciples in it, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And verse 25 says that during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And so, I mean, at this moment, it's probably worth just remembering. It's late at night. This is somehow between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., according to it being the the fourth watch of the night. There's a massive storm going on. And And if you and I know anything, it's that people don't walk across lakes in the middle of storms. In the night. So visibility is poor, and, and I, I have some sympathy for them being kind of scared uh, by this. Anyone else sympathy for the disciples here? Okay. All right. Well, verse 27 has Jesus's response. It says, But immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter replies to this. Peter says this to Jesus. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And I was, I was so blessed by how we prayed together this morning for the victims of the flooding and the hurricane because it is so important that we remember that it's not the polishedness of our praying that is what makes our praying effective. Peter's praying here. That's not a polished, deep prayer. That is an emergency. Just cry out, save me, Lord, help. And, and and Yemi, I was noticing while you were praying, I, I just, I felt the same way. It's like, sometimes I just don't know what to say when I'm praying. And I just, there's something in my heart we're crying out and it's hard to put words onto. What is it that we're really even asking God for? Because it seems like if we just say, help, 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 help. It'll sound kind of redundant. But prayer doesn't work because we say it right. Prayer doesn't work because you know, we've managed to get the right code words or keywords or phrase ourselves perfectly. Prayer works because of the one we're asking. And and it says here, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. That was three immediately's so far. I don't know if you noticed those. But it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And Jesus says this to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat and it says, then the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat, who was in the boat? Help us out here. So it's the rest of those 12 disciples. So there were 11 guys who are still in the boat, plus Peter, plus Jesus. It says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him. Who did they worship? Yes. Yes. Not Peter, but Jesus right? They worship Jesus saying, it's open notes. What's it? What do they say? Truly, you are the son of God. There's a lot in this story, but we're going to focus on Jesus's question to Peter. Why did you doubt? Because I mean, who wouldn't want to be always a flawless faith, like superhero of faith where Always, our faith is like above and beyond whatever obstacle and challenge we might ever be facing. I think that's kind of the way we wish we were. Uh, But in reality, our faith, mine and yours, it falls short of some of the challenges that we face. And sometimes we never even step out into an opportunity of faith. And sometimes when we do step out, we have the courage, and we take this step, we find ourselves sinking and we're going under and, and we're in the same kind of place as Peter. And so there's two fundamental things that I want you to go home with today and not just tuck away somewhere, you know, and say, oh, wasn't that nice, but really to be bedrock of how we follow Jesus together. And, and the first of these is this. These are such important, sorry, these are such important perspectives on faith and doubt. I just want to lay them out here as we get going. First is this, Jesus does not reject Peter in his doubt. Peter's doubt does not cause Jesus to turn away from him. Jesus does not reject Peter in his doubt. So to help you remember that, would you tell the person next to you, Jesus does not reject Peter because of his doubt? I can't hear you. No, he doesn't do that. And the other part is about the perspective that the Bible has about doubt. The way that the Bible tells the stories of people of faith shows us that the Bible sees doubt as part of the life of discipleship. That doubt is part of what the life of discipleship involves. We're going to unpack both of these. First, Jesus does not reject Peter in his doubting. Peter's faith, it comes up short. Peter's faith falters. Peter's faith isn't holding him up. He is starting to sink. But Jesus catches him. Jesus reaches right out and catches Peter when Peter cries out to help. In the midst of Peter's doubt, Do you know where Jesus is? Jesus is right there and he catches him. Jesus does not say, well, if your faith isn't perfect, then I'm going to let you sink. Jesus does not say, well, if your faith is little instead of large, then you're on your own. Jesus is not saying, if you doubt, I'm out of here. Jesus does not say the doubt is fatal. Jesus doesn't turn his back on Peter because of Peter's doubt. Jesus is right there, close, immediately reaching to him as he reaches out to Jesus. Jesus does not reject Peter because of his doubts. He's there to rescue. He's there to uphold him. He is present in the doubting. Do you know Jesus is that way? He's present in the doubting. It's easy to imagine, oh, he's there when my faith is strong and I'm believing. But he's present when your faith is little and when you're doubting. And we know that not just from this one episode. It's part of the way that the Bible puts doubt into perspective in a number of other stories and episodes and ways that the Bible paints the picture of how God sees us when we doubt. Another example from Matthew's Gospel Okay, well, let me back up. Let's hover on this because it may surprise you a little bit because there's a lot of attention that's given in Christian circles to things Jesus says about faith. But as a result, we can neglect that the Bible seems remarkably comfortable with doubt as well. And and just a couple other examples from Matthew's gospel. Back in Matthew 11, a little bit before, there's, there's this, Guy named John the Baptist, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. God chose him and used him in a very special way to to set the stage for Jesus to come on the scene as the son of God, the Messiah who has arrived. The Lord of heaven has come to earth. But John's been put in prison. And things aren't measuring up to what John expected God to do. And John's disappointed with God and he's confused about Jesus and he's in a time of doubt and he sends messengers to Jesus to ask, are you really even the one Jesus? He's questioning, is Jesus really who I thought he was? And in that context, in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus basically commends John and praises him in front of everybody and says, John is like the greatest dude who's ever lived. Or more formally, the translation says, among those born of women, none has risen greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty high praise from Jesus for a guy who's in the middle of doubting. Jesus isn't threatened by our doubts. He's present in our doubts. After Jesus rises from the dead, which is a big deal resurrection is huge. It changes everything. It proves Jesus is who he says he is. It shows us that God is victorious over sin, over death, and that he is fulfilling his promises to us in history by coming in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has risen from the dead. There's 11 remaining disciples, these apostles he's chosen that are going to receive the Holy Spirit and go turn the world upside down, who are the reason you and I even know about Jesus today. And Jesus tells them, Go ahead of me into Galilee. I'm going to meet you there on a particular mountainside. They go there to meet with him. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, it says, "When they saw him, they worshipped him." Is that the end of the verse? I have it up here, right? What's the rest of it say? Are you kidding me? I mean, these these are I mean these are the Big Eleven. These are the apostles themselves and and they're what they're seeing the risen jesus in person i like to think if i had that kind of experience doubt would not be in the equation ever again and it's saying that even in the experience they're like our minds are so blown right now that we can't really get a handle on this this can't compute and the bible is not threatened about talking about doubt the Bible is more accustomed to doubt than you might expect. The Bible sees doubt as one of the ingredients of a life of faith, not something that's foreign to people who are serving God, following God, and worshiping God. The Bible talks, includes quite a bit of doubt about how it present in the way that it presents people who are in their relationships with the Lord. That's a large part of Psalms. Lamentations, the book of Job. There's whole sections of the Bible that are rich in this area. And so the author, Philip Yancey, says that says this. He says, when I speak to college students, I challenge them to find a single argument against God in either the older agnostics or the newer agnostics. Those are um, anti-God authors and speakers like Bertrand Russell, well, uh, Voltaire himself, David Hume. Older ones or newer ones like Dawkins and Hitchens and so on. And Yancey's challenge is try to find me a modern or historical argument against God that is not already included in the Bible in books like Psalms, Job, Habakkuk, and Lamentations. It's a remarkable thing that God puts our best arguments against him in his own book as part of the lives of people who are wrestling and struggling with what does it mean to trust and obey the Lord. So let's, let's take a closer look at what is doubt, actually. Because we're throwing this word around, and, and most of us talk about doubt, well, kind of like we talk about having the flu, right? Because many times we talk about having the flu when it's not really a technically precise diagnosis of the actual virus, influenza. Does that make sense? I mean, we'll say, oh yeah, my son has the stomach flu again, and it doesn't actually mean that my son is infected with influenza. We're actually describing a set of symptoms, right? And you know those symptoms. We won't go into them. Uh, but they're unpleasant, uncomfortable for mom as well as for the son. And uh, we're describing a constellation of symptoms by calling it the flu rather than really talking about the cause. But if you go to the doctor... You want your doctor to be able to distinguish the difference between the causes, don't you? Because it makes a difference in how you treat it. And similarly, when we think about doubt, often we're, we're putting the word onto kind of a set of symptoms. We're describing what we experience. And and we're not always taking a closer look at the cause ourselves. And so here's a pers- one perspective, one way of thinking about doubt that you might find helpful. Uh, and it's this. To think of doubt as the gap between the faith that we currently have and whatever it's supposed to look like to trust God and follow him perfectly in every way. And and doubt, in in a sense, it's that gap between where our faith is currently at and where we wish it were or what the circumstance seems to demand or however we're being challenged. And, And when you see doubt this way, you recognize one of the truths about it, which is this. Doubt doesn't exist in the absence of faith. You can't even talk about doubt without it being in the context of faith. Doubt isn't meaningful unless you're talking about it, thinking about it, and seeing it in the context of faith. And so the fact is, all of us, you and me, the person sitting next to you, we all live with faith and doubt mingled together. That's a reality, whether we're buying a used car or thinking about who we're going to marry. It's the same thing whether you're wondering what job to take, whether to have a child, or whether to get out of bed in the morning and try to face the day. Doubt and faith are mingled together as part of our daily existence. And you know what? None of us has the luxury of just being able to get life to push the pause button for us. While we try to sort out our doubts and come to a place of like perfect certainty about everything that we wish we could know or have figured out before the pace of life just keeps overtaking us. For Peter here in this situation, he's got to deal with doubt in real time. The wind and waves are going on right now. He can't just push the pause button and try to, you know, listen to a podcast on increasing your faith. Right now he's in the middle of it right there and then I think that's part of what feels traumatic for us About doubts is that life keeps on happening to us And we get more overwhelmed when we feel like our faith isn't up for whatever's going on Or like we're not prepared or we can't keep up with it And we're somehow forced we're being forced by life to take a step We're not comfortable with whether it's a leap forward or a step backwards somehow. We just can't stand still because life keeps moving for us. And Jesus knows that. Jesus is right there in the midst of the storm. Jesus is right there when the wind is blowing, the waves are up and down, and and Peter can't get back to the boat. But Jesus is right there for Peter. And so he asks Peter this question. "Why, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And the text seems to say, it's because he saw the wind and he was afraid. Sometimes the answer to why do we doubt isn't that complicated. I mean, let's take a closer look. Let's make it personal. What about you and me? Why do we doubt? Um, I, I just threw up here a kind of a sample list of some of the reasons I doubt. Uh, you may have things you can add to that list or you may feel like certain ones of those aren't particular issues for you. But we doubt because of being disappointed when expectations we have aren't met. And we, we think, well, I don't know if I can believe or expect next time that it's going to work out the way that I hope. Um, our, our trust can get damaged by things that happen in life. And then we worry, we're afraid about what will happen in the future. Uh, some obstacles just seem too big. and You may feel like you find that there's some things that you can pray about with confidence that you can rely on and they don't worry you. But there's other things that keep you awake all night. And because the size of the obstacle just seems bigger than your faith, um, sometimes we we slay we discover doubt because we've never taken the time to think and the effort to think through the implications and issues of what it would really mean to believe and trust and have faith in something. And another area is where we we just expect and demand an unrealistic amount of certainty. And um, I do want to mention certainty is a poor substitute for faith. Please don't confuse the two. Certainty is a poor substitute for faith. All of these kinds of issues, other ones that you may experience and know, they challenge our faith. And when I when I use the word faith, I'm talking about our trust in Jesus. All of these challenge my trust in Jesus. And so let's look at what was actually being shaken for Peter when he's out on the water. I mean, what was Peter doubting? Not just why, but what was it that he was doubting, right? Because Peter has already been living a life of faith. He left his career, his job, his fishing business, and he started following Jesus. He started out on a life of faith that was kind of an adventure for him because he thought Jesus is going to, Get rid of the Romans. There's all the promises to my people are coming. And he you know, had an excitement, and idea of who Jesus really is. He's the savior. He's the king. He's powerful. He's right here. He had the courage to say, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And then there he is. He's out on the water. And the wind, well, the wind is so strong that you can see it. And that's a pretty intense storm and he's afraid and he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. So what is he doubting about? Well, apparently his doubts are not about whether Jesus is real. He's no longer he's not wondering if this is a ghost. His doubts are not about whether Jesus is real, because after all, what's he do? He cries out to Jesus, right? And apparently his doubts are not about whether Jesus is Lord. Because when he cries out, what does he say? Lord, save me, right? And then apparently his doubts are not about whether Jesus can save him. Because what's he cry out? What does he cry out? You forgot already. Okay, you better remind your neighbor. What did Peter cry out to Jesus? Lord, save me. Peter's doubts have to do with whether he can actually do the thing he started out to try to do by faith. It has to do with the gap between what he started to do by faith and the challenge that he's facing right now. Doubt is this gap between the faith we currently have and whatever it looks like to perfectly trust and rely on the Lord. And many times, doubt appears precisely in the occasion, in the place and in the moment where we have stepped out into something that stretches our faith. At precisely the moment that we want our faith to show itself strong is where we discover the gap between the faith we have and the things that we are trying to respond to the Lord in and trust him. Hear this. Doubt can only happen where faith is being practiced. There's 11 disciples who aren't struggling with doubt at all in this episode. They're not experiencing the doubt trouble that Peter had to deal with because they weren't in the situation that was testing their faith the same way that Peter's faith was being tested. Brothers and sisters, little faith is still real faith. Please don't despise someone's efforts of faith. For them, it may be big, even if it doesn't seem very impressive to you. Doubt happens in the place where faith is needed, and doubt happens in the settings, in the situations where the faith that we have, it's being tested and it's being stretched. And a lot of doubt that we experience, well, it comes from what we feel rather than what we think or know, or rather than what we think we know. It comes from how it feels to us. And that's not something we can fix intellectually with more knowledge, because faith is not just intellectual certainty. It's trusting a person whose name is Jesus. And Jesus asks, why did you doubt? It's a relational question, not an intellectual knowledge question. It wasn't a, don't you know who I am? Peter said, Lord, save me. He knows Jesus is Lord and Savior. But Jesus's question is pulling him closer to a relationship of trust in the midst of a situation that's much too big for Peter to handle. And this Doubt issue This question: Why did you doubt? It can happen because doubt will confront us, even when we're telling ourselves that we have no reason to be afraid. Even when we're telling ourselves we have no reason to worry. Even when we're telling ourselves that we can trust the Lord, we can find that that's really hard to do. Let me give you an example. Uh, next slide. Have you have you ever seen the California redwoods? Yeah, that's where we are. Uh, I got to take this picture a couple years ago. Uh, my family had been able to travel out to California during spring break, Sarah's birthday. I was on, I was on my way to Mongolia to teach and so the family came along to California. We had a little vacation together. These redwoods, they're amazing. They are the world's tallest species of tree. I mean, getting up to 300 feet is like not a big deal for a redwood. If you give it enough time and the right conditions, they grow. 300 feet plus. The tallest one is almost 400 feet tall. It's in California. It's the tallest tree in the world. And they live a long time too. Like 500 to 700 years is like typical and average for these trees if people aren't cutting them down. And they've documented ones that are over 2000 years old. And so when we were there, it was just this, it's like this, it was this awesome thing because you're standing here and there's trees and they seem like they go up forever. And some of them, you're close to. you're like, wow, this tree was here when Jesus was walking around. And, and there's something about the forest that's amazing. And so while we were there, we, we didn't just walk around the trees on the ground. We had a chance to go up in the canopy and we went zip lining. And, and so this next slide, this is the view when you're up in the tree, like 100 to 150 feet off the ground and the wind is blowing and the tree is moving. I want to tell you that is a long way down. And, And so next slide, this is our daughter, Sarah. And she is having the time of her life, you guys. She is living it up 120 some feet off the ground uh, you know, you start about 150, the cable may sag down, you go down to 110, 100 or so. And she is having a blast. Trust is not her issue. She's enjoying herself, right? You could say she's full of faith and not experiencing doubt. Um, now, here is my wife, Karen, her mother, um, who is having a much... Oh, next slide. Um, and... <laughs> And you can see, for us in the family, we know that particular expression. Um, And it means that she's having a much harder time than Sarah convincing her feelings to trust what her intellect is telling them. Because Karen has a fine degree of certainty about the load that the steel cables can handle. She is not questioning the strength of the connection of the cables to the trees or the harness or the cable that she has or the number of hooks that we've got on the cable. But nonetheless, as she's telling herself, I have no reason to be afraid. It's just not working out that well. She's got a pulse rate advertising to her that you are in danger Her endocrine system is working over time, right? And it's shouting out all the efforts of her rational mind. And the rest of her body is saying, no way am I stepping off this platform 150 feet off the ground. I have just become a tree hugger. And meanwhile, Sarah's having a blast. And Karen is able to watch Sarah having a blast. But her feelings are still her feelings. And she Sarah and her mom have the exact same information. Well, I mean, is, Karen is probably better able to calculate what 9.8 meters per second squared equates to when you start at uh, you know 50 meters off the ground. But it listen, it's not an information issue. It's a faith issue. And I know Karen. She can handle a challenge. It's not that Karen can't handle a challenge. I have been with this lady, places where I see and I know she is one of the braver people I've had the privilege of getting to know. I mean, I've been with her, I've seen her over 100 feet underwater, scuba diving. Somehow being 100 feet in the air is different. You know, I've seen her pack up her family and take her small kids into Africa with the knowledge of infectious disease that she has and trust God as we've had our kids playing in the mud and doing things that intellectually she knows are not a good idea. I've seen her commit them to the Lord and trust God with things that are hard to trust. And here's the reality. One person's hot sauce may seem mild for you, but it may be hot for them. And... Let's not be too quick to judge people who are struggling in their faith. Even if that person is yourself. Because each of us, we have areas of strength and areas where it's harder. And you may say, "Ah, I believe Jesus. And I feel like I'm a mature Christian in this area, this area, this area. And something else can come in your life from another way. And you just feel like it's leveled you and you're sinking down underwater it doesn't mean your faith isn't real. It doesn't mean Jesus isn't there. It means that the doubt comes in a variety of shapes and forms. And Jesus is working in our lives to enable us to trust him in more areas than we've ever known we've had to in the past. You may not struggle with heights, but maybe you couldn't imagine breathing calmly 100 feet underwater. You might not blink about driving a motorcycle in traffic, right? What's the big deal with that? but you may not be able to cope with taking a hard look at your own emotions, let alone talking with someone about what's really going on down there. You might not be afraid to talk in front of a crowd of people, but God forbid that you end up in, by yourself in a country where you don't speak the language. We respond differently to different kinds of challenges that we have. So don't judge people's doubts from the perspectives of your own strengths. Jesus even in his statement to Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He is right there for Peter. Not just in Peter's successes, but in the moment of his doubt as well. So let me wrap up with a few thoughts about how the Bible talks to us about responding to doubt. So when when someone is struggling to doubt, it's important that we remember that the Bible actually gives us a command about how to deal with people who are doubting. And in the, there's this little letter at the, close to the very end of your New Testament. Uh, after Paul's letters come some letters from Peter and then from the Apostle John. Sorry, there's James and Peter and then there's three letters from the Apostle John. And there's this little shorty uh, called Jude. Uh, and Jude was apparently one of the other brothers of Jesus who came to believe in Jesus after he rose from the dead. And it's such a short letter that doesn't even have chapters. It just has a handful of verses. And it comes in before the revelation of John. And Jude verse 22 tells us, be merciful. Be merciful to those who doubt. At the time Jude was writing his letter, there was such persecution for believers That Christians were losing their houses. They were losing all their possessions. They were losing their liberty. They were being put in prison. Some were being killed for their faith. And Jude, through the Holy Spirit, counsels us to be merciful to those who doubt. And that's still the word of God for us today. Be patient with people who are doubting, even if that person is yourself. Sometimes doubt doesn't fix itself in one sermon or one Bible verse or one day or one week. Don't insist that people get over it already on your timetable. Mercy is more patient than that. So let me suggest to you some do's and don'ts for dealing with doubts. Was that a good preacher stringing of D's together? Kind of get a little do's and don'ts for dealing with doubt. Come on. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Enjoy that. Okay. Um, the first do is... Be real about it. Acknowledge the reality of doubt. Don't try to deny the presence of doubt. It's not like you're going to fool the Lord. Uh, just be honest with them, about them with yourself and with the Lord. There's something about the way Jesus asks the question to Peter that we can't really pick up in the English. Uh, he uses uh, an exceptional choice of Greek words. meaning it's not like the normal way you'd ask. Um, instead, his question implies what were you doubting for rather than what were you doubting from? Meaning it's more like he's asking what's the purpose of your doubting than what's the reason for your doubting. So another way to say it would be, so in order to what are you doubting as opposed to because of what were you doubting or to say it differently again, what's the purpose of your doubting? What's your doubting for? Could it be that your doubt could be the doorway to deeper faith for your life? Could it be that your doubt could be purposeful in the hands of a God who holds everything? In doubt, part of what we do when we acknowledge our doubt instead of hiding it is it opens the door for us to rely on Jesus's sufficiency instead of our own. Because sometimes we just have to accept that we're not we're not whatever enough you know that we're not strong enough that we're not fast enough that we're not smart enough that we're not skilled enough that we're not attractive enough and accept our own failings and limitations even when they're the failings and limitations of our faith and trust and rest our weight on Jesus's outstretched arm 150 feet up in a tree. Karen's not under any illusions that she's going to be able to walk on air. She's putting her weight on a cable that will hold her up. And we rely on Jesus in faith, not ourselves. The Bible says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Do you ever did you ever pause to think? How did we get the amount of detail in this account in our Bible that we have? How do we know that Jesus said to Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I mean, because there's this big storm that's still going on. It's not like it's easy to hear conversations some distance away from a rowboat, a little sailboat in the storm. I think there's a good likelihood that we know what Jesus said to Peter because Peter told people. Himself, because he wasn't ashamed that Jesus said, why did you doubt? Because he knew Jesus was the one who also caught him. Does that make sense to you? Here's another do to do what Peter did. Keep on reaching to Jesus in the place of doubt. Keep reaching towards Jesus. Cry out to Jesus because Jesus doesn't think that doubt equals unbelief. Jesus doesn't equate doubt and denial when he says, you have little faith. It's a pretty accurate description of most of us. But don't confuse that with having no faith at all. Because faith, faith is not the end. Faith is not the goal. Jesus is. Our goal isn't to have faith. Our goal is Jesus. And faith is how we reach towards him. So keep on living, do keep on living according to the faith that you do have. Keep living according to what you believe about Jesus. Keep reaching towards him. Keep calling out to him, Lord, save me. It's a simple prayer and Jesus is right there. And as you keep walking in the faith that you do have, do it together. Do go ahead and get in the boat with a bunch of other people who are doing their best to follow Jesus with the faith that they have also. Here's a couple of don'ts. Don't trust your doubts more than your faith. Don't give your doubt more authority or certainty than it deserves. Be just as critical of the basis of your doubts as you claim to be in questioning faith. If you're going to doubt, doubt your doubts too. And and lastly here, just, just in passing, uh, but I encourage you to, to press into this one. And ask God prayerfully to, to help you with it. Don't use doubt as a smokescreen to justify continuing in sin when you know that God wants something different for your life. Don't let your doubts, as real as they are, become your excuses for holding on to sin that you know God wants you to turn away from. And don't use your doubts as excuses for not doing the things that you know he's called you to. We live lives where faith and doubt are mingled together. Don't let your doubts become the excuses not to live in the faith that you have. Honor God with your body, even though when you're not sure about everything, even when you have trouble, you know, trusting Him and following Him maybe in every area that you might feel stretched in. Don't use doubt as a smokescreen to excuse sin that you want to hold on to. I want to finish with this, this one question. Why is this story about Peter in our Bible? Why is it in there? Peter doesn't come out looking like a, a huge success. Why is this story in the Bible? I suggest it's because it's not really about Peter. It's not in here to make Peter look good. It's not in here to make Peter look bad. It's not really about Peter fundamentally. It's about Jesus. Jesus. And that's why it's here. It's a real authentic story. It's primarily about Jesus more than being about Peter. And it's in here so that we, like all the guys there in that boat, could worship him, saying, truly you are the son of God. It's in here to help us see that regardless of whether we have a lot of faith or just a little, Jesus is still enough. It's in here showing us that whether our faith is faultless or full of flaws, Jesus himself is still everything we need. This story, it's here, it's showing us that doubt isn't the thing that keeps us from Jesus. But Jesus will reach out and catch us when we cry out to him. And it's in here to show us that our focus shouldn't be on our faith, whether we feel like we have a lot or a little, or whether it's good faith or bad faith. However, we see our own faith. Our focus isn't supposed to be on our faith. This story is here to show us our focus should be on Jesus himself, the one who truly is the son of God. I'd like to invite us to pray, to turn our attention and our hearts towards Jesus, not to focus even on our own faith, but to the one who holds us. And that also, that's what communion does for us as we share communion most weeks here together. It turns our attention off of our faith or what we do through our faith and turns our eyes and our minds to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we cry out. Lord, save us. Lord, I, I pray for every one of us, me and the rest of the group, all of us here, God, whether we're young or old, new believers, non-believers, older believers, Lord, would you do a work in us just to keep our faith real and fixed on you? Lord, I pray for each person who's struggling because they feel like they ought to be able to believe you better than they do today. Lord, where it feels like they've just gotten knocked by a situation they weren't expecting to struggle with, and yet the doubt, the fear, the worry is real. Jesus, reach out, I pray, right now. Lord, with a fresh perspective, and the strength of your hand to uphold each one today, Lord. Lord, I pray that where we've been guilty of having critical attitudes towards others and been judgmental towards others' doubts, God, I pray, and let this be a family, Lord, where your grace is rich and real, Lord, where this church is a place of a helping hand, that strengthens others whether they know what to believe or don't know what to believe, whether they can believe what they think they ought to believe or whether they find that hard. Lord, I pray that our lives would be helpful to one another in your precious name. And Lord, I pray that where that doubt has brought darkness and distress and difficulty, Lord, that you would rescue and you'd bring deliverance today. Lord, that you would refresh the hope and confidence. And Lord, where we're just... Clinging so tight to that tree, afraid to rely on you and throw our weight on you. God, I pray that you just bring that release of faith and bring your blessing in Jesus name.